Turn with me over into Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 6. We're going to have our time together in the Lord. While you're turning, I might declare that I miss everybody that's out hunting. I think if we declare hunting a sin, we might get our people back. Uh, I don't know. Let's just wish them a great time. And We have people ill and have people in the deer woods and uh, all that. I just I miss them when they're not here. Just uh, try to let them know that you miss them. Um, I said in the earlier service something that I think is probably true. The message this morning is three, probably three different messages. Um, according to John, wait till John, our youth pastor, hears it. He'll say, Pastor, you should have made four or five messages out of it. And maybe perhaps I should. But uh, I want to uh, point your attention this morning to something that I think is extremely important. When we come to this time of year, how many of you know this is a pretty demanding time? This season has always got demands and it presses our schedules and it may press us even financially and the, the, all the, uh, the things that we feel like we need to do or desire to do in the sense of celebrating Christmas or parties or things that we're obligated to do. It's a very busy time of the year. I also will tell you this, that it's the time of year when Satan can come and really uh, stir some things in our heart to try to make us doubt or to get us so busy that we are, I believe, under an attack many times. And I want to talk about that this morning in a, in a I think, a very biblical way. I, I want you to listen on purpose this morning because I know there are people, if you'll allow me to say in this sanctuary, and people on uh, Facebook as we're streaming live, and people that I know that call me for the last four, five, six weeks, I want to tell you the Lord laid this message on my heart, and I want it to minister not only to them, but to you. I want to talk about this morning the Lord of Sabbath, a level place, and a crowd. And I want you to just try to place yourself there, and let's listen to the Spirit of the Lord as He speaks. When you turn to Luke chapter 6, it's a surprising picture of our Lord's observance of the Sabbath. It is interesting and it's instructive in worship and a living Lord, we are shown that loves His children in a personal way. I, I want to read to you these, these verses of Scripture and I want you to watch about how the Lord conducted Himself on a Sabbath, a couple of Sabbaths, and how the world at large responded to Him. How many of you know we're in a hostile world and we have an enemy dedicated against us? And such was the Christ. So let's, let's, let's uh, look at it together. Verse 1 of chapter 6 in Luke. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he, meaning Christ, went through the grain fields. And the disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, Have you not even read this? See, these are the Pharisees, the letter of the law, back into the Old Testament. The new, they try to make it New Testament law. You have to cross every T and dot every I with the law, and they prided themselves in that. And here's a man claiming to be Christ who, who in their opinion, abused the Sabbath. And he, so he read to them, knowing they're people of the law. He said, have you not even read this, that David, what he did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God 
took and ate the showbread, which was dedicated, consecrated to the Lord, if you know that, and also gave them though to some to those with them, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. Have you even read that? That's what he was saying. Verse 5, and he said to them, this, ladies and gentlemen, statement, I want you to know, was a thunderous, un unconceivable thing to them. He said, the Son of Man, meaning himself, is also Lord of the Sabbath. That shivered their timbers in their concept. This man's claiming to be God, and he's even Lord of the Sabbath. So look at verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. Watch verse 10. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And so he arose and stood. And Jesus said to them, I ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Isn't it amazing, in the midst of a miracle on the Sabbath day, our God totally healed a man who had withered hand for years and those pharisaical minds sat around. They couldn't rejoice in a man's benefit or the blessing in the miraculous things of God. All they could do was find some kind of reason to try to disbelieve it or to silence it. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, you and I live in a world that is similar to that. I want to say again, we have an enemy dedicated against us. But I want to talk to you about worship. We're going to read some more verses in a minute. But let's just talk about what Christ is in our lives, in our everyday life, and what we do when we come here to worship. When we come to worship, we come here for probably one of three reasons to worship. First of all, we may come out of duty, just out of pure duty. We, we love God. And we feel like we owe him something, so we come out of duty. Or we know that we are his creation, and he requires that we pay him homage, so we come out of duty or homage to Christ. Or we come to say, God, I'm here because I know your boss, but it's out of a duty. But that's a pretty low level of worship, and it's really not by any means something we should do. But there's another reason that we worship. We may come here, and watch this, for a pleasant diversion. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, if it's a cold, rainy, snowy Sunday, we have nothing else to do, maybe we could do that. It's a harmless, maybe, a way to spend a Sunday morning. Or it's a way that I might get my mind off of my problems and my pressures and the things that are against me. It gives me a mental or an emotional diversion. That's not a very great level of worship. There is a third level, though, that says this. We may come to experience the dynamite. I did these words on purpose, out of duty or diversion or dynamite. So what do you come for on Sunday? Duty or diversion or some dynamite? And that's 
Can I tell you the dynamite is what Jesus promised us. And I can see that I'm going to have to have some dynamite to get an amen this morning. Wow. We get our word dynamite from a Greek word called dunamis. And let me remind you in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that's what Jesus promised. He said these words, you who are twice born, when you come to Christ, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not just religion. This is not just adding salvation to our lifestyle. I want to tell you, God comes and totally changes the man, woman, or young person who is genuinely twice born. Okay, I need some dynamite here. How many of you know it was a dynamic, powerful thing when you gave your heart to the Lord? It was. Ladies and gentlemen, God not only sits in a throne room a long ways from here in a place called heaven, but I want to tell you something. The God of our salvation intervenes in our lives every day. So what may we expect from our worship and our relationship with God when we come? So that's sermon number one. Here's sermon number two. What can we expect if we come to God? First of all, we have a new beginning or a a continued new place of genuine relationship with God. We have a new beginning as a new Christian, but God also has that continuing relationship with us, a, a new beginning. Secondly, in our worship, we can experience a new freedom. How many remember the day you gave your heart to the Lord and suddenly the shackles broke off of you and you were no longer chained as a prisoner of the enemy? Your old values must be re-examined and you can let go of your pride, your self-ambition, and your greed and all the things that entangle and ensnared your life before. You can stand in the grace and the mercy of God and you can sing with some dynamite in your life. Thank God I am free and I know that I've been set free. That's a great experience. There's a third thing we can expect in worship, and that is in God. That is guidance and help. God doesn't save us to leave us alone. When we get into a place where we say, oh, the circumstances are all against me. What am I going to do? What can I do? What shall I do? And then the Spirit of God will suddenly come, and He'll turn a light on in your mind and illuminate a direction for you. How many of you have been here where you said, God, what should I do? And He ordered that next step, and you knew it. Come on, say amen. I've known it so many times. I don't want to be without the Spirit of God leading me and guiding me. We can expect that in our worship and relationship with them. There's a fourth thing we can expect. We can expect healing. We can expect healing. And let me just tell you, we can expect healing emotionally. Listen, you're going to read in a little bit here where he even took those who were vexed by evil spirits and gave them peace. We can be healed emotionally, we can be healed physically, and we can be healed relationally. God wants to make His children whole. So ladies and gentlemen, when we come to worship and we come to this house of God, let us not leave raiding the, the service and the raiding the worship by the performance of the preacher or the music. Let us not leave here just saying, well, the atmosphere was this or was that, but may we leave here with the genuine reason for worship, and that is this. What did God say to me? What did the Spirit of God speak to me? 
What does he want to do with my life now that I've had that experience of worship this week? That is the dynamite, ladies and gentlemen, because God not, does not want to be just ethereal or supernatural. God wants to be personal with you as his child. I want to tell you, this relationship I have with God is a personal relationship. Now, I've tried to cover that in a hurry because the rest of this I want you to hear now, I want to talk about, let's look at it in a personal way. Christianity is far more than religion. Ladies and gentlemen, God knows where we are. I want you to look at the next verses in, in Luke. I'm going to read a few beginning with the verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went to the mountain, meaning Christ, to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. And it lists those twelve. We drop down to verse 17. And when he named the apostles, watch this. It's important. And he came down with them and stood on a level plain with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came near him and to be healed of their diseases. As well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, they were healed. And the whole, watch this verse, and the whole multitude sought to touch him. For power went out from him, and he healed them all. Ladies and gentlemen, we can expect a new beginning. We can absolutely know a guidance and some help. We can expect to be healed. God wants us whole. Jesus prayed all night. Can you imagine the Spirit of the Lord that's on him? He chose 12 apostles. And once he chose them, then there's an amazing statement that I think we read over. It's in verse 17. It, it says this. He came down with them and stood on a level plain with a crowd. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And he came down and stood on their level. I want to share with you, all over this world, there are millions and billions of people who have a wrong view of our Heavenly Father. Their view is that God is somewhere on a distant planet and He's austere and every time that a saint or a sinner makes a mistake, He is there to punish them. They think He's somewhere in a universe. He's a God, if at all, with very little interest in humanity, much less any details of human lives. I declare to you that is an entirely wrong concept of our Heavenly Father. It is for that reason, to be honest with you, that I pray and I seek to purpose to have in this sanctuary every Sunday. I want a warm and friendly atmosphere in our worship. Can you say amen? I like pomp and I like ritualism and it has its place. But I think we need not near the ritualism sometime that we have. I don't think we need a high church about us. I don't think we need to try to be everything to everybody. I don't think that Sunday should be a fashion show. I like it friendly and I want it dignified so that our corporate worship is righteous and it can be accepted for the Father. But why, Pastor, why? Let me tell you why. Because God is much more than the omnipotent God in the sky somewhere distant. Yes, 
He is omnipotent, all-powerful. Yes, he is omniscient. He knows everything, even the thoughts and the intents of our minds and hearts. He is omnipresent, but I want to tell you something. He is far more. Our God comes down with us and stands on our level. God in the incarnate flesh took time for little children. Ralph Waldo Emerson, a great poet of yesteryear, wrote these words. Listen to them deeply. He said this, So nigh is grandeur to our dust. So near is God to man. When duty whispers, Lo, thou must. The youth replies, I can. You say, Pastor, what is Emerson trying to say? He's saying God is so near, the grandeur to we who are dust, that when we are assigned a task or a problem comes or a situation that challenges us and we must discipline ourselves or we are here against this foe, the youth, even the inexperienced, those who are just learning can say, I can. I want to tell you something. There is nothing impossible in your life with our God. And Satan will paint a picture of circumstance that will stack against you as if there's absolutely an impossibility. Have you ever just said to God like Pastor Brooks has, Lord, what is going on here? Why am I under this attack? I even say, Lord, why'd you let this happen to me? But God in His sovereignty, ladies and gentlemen, knows how to minister to every one of us. He came down to them and He stood on their level. He who made the world, yet he went out to eat with a tax collector, Zacchaeus, and he said, I'm coming to your house. He who made the sun to shine still took time to bless little children. He who calls every star by name, yet he is interested in blind Bartimaeus. He who holds the planets in their place and sends them on their course, Yet he's concerned about a fallen woman at Sychar's well. He who was nailed to Calvary still took time in his agony and his pain and his suffering to care for his mother. He who was dying in agony still took time to tell a thief the way to eternal life. He who stood on eternity's shore and declared and made chronos time, yet he's concerned about every heartbeat of every person on this planet. He who dwelt in the past with deity, infinity, and perfection, yet he fellowships with the finite and the imperfect, such as you and me. He who stood on the banks of space and declared earth into creation. He who stood above the heavens and made every flower and made every leaf and every blade of grass, yet he charters the course of the life and the death of every sparrow. He came down, stood on the level place with a crowd. I want to tell you, I like that. I also want to tell you, I need that. I don't need a God somewhere up there 
who can't talk to me. I don't need a God somewhere in some distant place who can't come to me and communicate with me and direct me. I don't need a God that's all-powerful that won't come and help me. Yes, I need God. I love God. I worship God. I adore the heavenly, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. But I also need a Savior who in all manner like we was tempted, and yet he was without sin. I need a Savior who was tormented and troubled by every kind of experience that you and I have, yet he can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. I need a Savior who personally cares for his children. How many of God is a personal God? <laughs> I'm going to say this in kind of gist, but it'll probably be what you remember. But so be it. A child doesn't need a father and have to be required to do, to do something like this. To, to call dad on the telephone and, and say to dad, say a son calls a dad. And no, no son needs, or daughter needs a dad where he has to call. Almighty thou, almighty father and dad. Wouldst thou please come home. And when thou comest home, wouldst thou please drop by and buy us a gallon of ice cream. No son or daughter needs that kind of dad. You, you, know, you know what we need for a dad? We need a son and daughter all be able to say, Daddy, pass the biscuits. Dad, can I have a second piece of bacon? Or a pecan pie? A son or daughter needs a dad that says, Dad, I cut my finger. I bruised my knee. A son or daughter needs a dad that can say, Dad, would you go by Brahms and bring us a half a gallon of black walnut ice cream? Because Brahms black walnut ice cream cures anything. <laughs> Aren't you glad you know God? Our world thinks they know about God. There's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. Dad, you're here this morning. You need a God that knows how to provide you a job and give you a good income so you can support your home. Mom, you need a God who knows that if you must be employed and you must add to that how to take care of you on your job. Dad, you need a, you need a God that you can call on and say, Father, I've got a question. The Satan's attacked my family, and I need to know what to do. And God will say, here, son, walk in this way. Mom, you need a God this morning that provides wisdom sometime when Satan attacks your children and says, here's how, here's how to lead your children. Moms, you need a God sometime when your children are sick. He can come on your prayer and your beck and your call and cool a fevered brow. I just want you to know that's the kind of God we serve. Well, yes, I, I know God's a powerful God in heaven. 
I know that he is the almighty. I know that he's the everlasting father. How many of you are glad about that? I, I know he's the creator of the universe. I know that. I know that he holds the stars and planets in their place and gives them their course. I know that when the rain comes, he'll still provide a rainbow that says, I promise I'll never flood the earth again. I know him as mighty Jehovah who covenanted with Israel for those 4,000 years as our example. I know him as Yahweh, the creator God. But sometimes I need a God who is acquainted with the weaknesses and the temptations and the disappointments and the frustrations that I have while I'm here following his lead. I need a Savior who got weary one day and stopped by Sychar's well and even in his thirst and in his fatigue took time to talk to a fallen woman and so change her life that when she ran back to town, she declared these words, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did in my life. I need a God who knows my weaknesses. I need a God who knows my temptations. I need a God that when I've blown it, I can go to him and know that I'll be received because I have failed. And I'll tell you every time, through my 60 plus years of age, Every time I've come to God, he came down on my level and he met me at my need. Our world, by and large, doesn't understand our relationship with God. I just want to declare to you, you can touch him. You can find him if you'll call on him. You can touch him on a cot in a jail cell. He'll come to that level. You can touch him from the bunk of an army barracks when you're lonely and you feel beaten up because I can tell you I've done that personally. You can touch him in the bed of a hospital. You can touch him in the valley of depression. You can touch him when you need him. You can see him even if you're blind. I declare you can hear him even if you're deaf. So my message this morning is, when Satan attacks you and comes in like a flood, call on him, call on him, call on him, call on him. He'll come down and stand on your level and take the need and heal it. God doesn't always say, come up to where I am. God doesn't always demand that we just be stiff-jawed and disciplined God doesn't always say you have to be tough. I just want to tell you something. The scripture declares that he will still leave the ninety and nine and minister to the one. Look up. Look up wherever you are. I want to tell you, this God, when you call on him, will ride on the wings of the wind. This God whom you need will step on the clouds. This God will bend the heavens and he will come. I love it. I'm going to rehearse it. It may sound old-fashioned, but it's true. I remember when I needed him, it was like this. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained within. I was sinking to rise no more. 
But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from those waters lifted me and safe am I. It is love of God that lifted me out of Satan's snare. Call on him, Mom. Call on him, Dad. Call on him, grandparent. Call on him, husband. Call on him, wife. Call on him, young person. I will tell you this. He'll come wherever you are. As a pastor, I have the greatest job in the world. Oh, not because you're nice all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe you are. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to tell folks about Jesus. And I get to say, call on him. And here's the good part. I get to hear them call. And I get to watch him arrive. And when he arrives, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He'll give you a new beginning. He'll keep you. I went through it a while ago. He'll guide you. And let me tell you, he'll put some dynamite in your life. That's the God I serve. I've heard the lonely call. And I've learned he'll go to that level. I've heard the despondent and desperate call, and I want to tell you, Jesus will come down to that level and help the lonely and the despondent. I've heard the ill call and ask him to come, and I've watched him arise with healing in his wings and descend and heal a body. I want to tell you a story of a man I knew many years ago I heard him tell this story, and I love it. He was a young man at the time in a Bible college. He was going to be a minister. So he decided he would visit a hospital every Thursday afternoon, and he would minister to whoever he felt like the Lord led him to. One day he met a young black man in a hospital room that was 25 years old. He was blind and had some difficulty in hearing, he was on the list that would soon pass away. The young minister began to try to lead him to Christ, and so he would whisper into his ear, and he would say to him, pray, pray and call on the Lord for your salvation. And this young black man said, I prayed, but I can't get through. And so the young minister on another occasion asked the Lord to forgive you for your sins and he got the same answer. I've asked him, but I can't get through. And weeks passed in the same experience. Finally, the young man, the patient, went into a coma. And yet the minister returned week after week after week after week. He testified about how the doctors at the end, I don't know if this is the case, to be honest with you, I don't know, but back then, and maybe it's true, they said the last thing before someone passes away, the last element of our body that leaves us is hearing. And this young minister-to-be decided he would take advantage of that, and so he began to get down and whisper in this young man's ear. And he would speak to him, call on him, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful that the last thing, if it's true, we lose is hearing? 
I thought about it. It's not seeing. It's not feeling. The scripture declares that faith comes by hearing. And it's not just the physical hearing. It's that spirit that hears the voice of God. And this young man said, you can get through. You can get through. On one Wednesday afternoon, the young-to-be minister went for a visit again. The nurse met him. He saw the empty bed, and she said he went home. He, he passed away. She said in that coma, but she said just before he passed away, he regained consciousness just for a couple of minutes. And she said, he spoke to me, and he left you a message. I don't know what it means, but perhaps you do. And she said that young man said, tell the preacher, I got through. I got through. I got through. I want to tell you, you can get through too. You, 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 you can get through too. Call on him, Magdalene. He will set you free from demon spirits and a fallen lifestyle. Call on him, Zacchaeus. He will come to your home and declare righteousness in it. Call on him, lady, with the issue of blood for 12 years where doctors had given up on her and she spent all she had. She touched his garment. And he said, who's touched me because I know power has left me. Somebody touched me in faith. I just want to tell you this morning, in the 2018 fall season of the year, when Satan comes and he bombards us and when there's more pressure than we can fathom, I don't need to describe it. Christ's legacy, I want to share with you this morning. I bring to you a Christ today who will meet you where you are. So we will not worship Him and we will not live for Him out of duty. We will have far more of an experience with our God than that of a diversion. We will experience the dunamis of His Holy Spirit. The Lord of the Sabbath, healer, heal them all. He comes to visit us today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, God is interested in your struggle this morning.